If there's one group in Canada that has not been spared by the worst effects of the novel coronavirus, it's those that live in long-term care homes. Outbreaks have swept through those facilities from coast to coast, and the Canadian forces were even called in to run facilities in Quebec. But the problems in long-term care long predate COVID-19, and the pandemic has brought that conversation to light. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver, and this is Why. COVID-19 is especially devastating for the elderly and those with comorbidities. And the wake left by the coronavirus has been felt by the families whose loved ones lived in the homes and by the people working there. The death toll tells a stark story. In June, long-term care residents accounted for 80% of COVID-related deaths. And in late November, nearly 90% of deaths were in people aged 70 and up. The Canadians living in long-term care are, to put it bluntly, sitting ducks during this pandemic. Carol Astorbrooks is the scientific director of the Translating Research in Elder Care Program and professor in the Faculty of Nursing at the University of Alberta. Thanks so much for your time, Carol. Glad to be here. So, Carol, I brought you on because uh, you chaired the Royal Society of Canada's working group on long-term care. Uh, wondering if you can inform our listeners what uh, the goal of that uh, working group was and the Coles notes on what you found. Uh, well, we were asked, in, uh, I think it was April of 2020, so really in the early stages of the pandemic, as part of the Royal Society's COVID, they have a large COVID-19 task force, and so they wanted one of the first ones they struck, I think we were the first one, was a workforce or a task a working group that worked on um, the implications for long-term care of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so we did that report in a very short period of time. They wanted it done comprehensively and quickly and available by the end of June. So we struck a committee of experts across the country and went to it. In terms of uh, Cole's note, um, uh, we had some, uh, it was really challenging to do that report. Like everybody on the working group was uh, an expert. Most of us were researchers, but most of us had worked in the long-term care sector for a very long time. And a number of us had clinical experience. And um, when we began to really look at it, <clears throat> what we found was that the problems and the issues and the challenges were both longstanding. These are not new. There was nothing new. Um, Co- and COVID didn't cause what was happening. It was yet another event, a camel that broke straws back, if you will. And it became really difficult to write a report in a short period of time. It was like boiling the ocean. So we stepped back and we said we can't address everything in this report. Um, what are the most urgent things? Um, so that's what, how we approached it. And then we had a, a very pointed discussion at one point and said, of all the things that need addressing, what is the single most important item if, if people do nothing else? And we landed very quickly on addressing the workforce. Hmm. That won't fix the problem. The problem goes back to at least 100 years. Um, in terms of the long-standing structural and systemic issues in long-term care, there um, there have been at least fifty reports. We we tabulated in how many reports there were, uh, and I think it was eight, no, it was eighty in the last fifty years. And so we skimmed those reports and we looked at them, and we had a couple of students looking at them, and 
the reports basically all say the same thing over and over and over, and they're almost always prompted by a crisis event like the um, serial um, killer in Ontario who worked who did her dastardly deeds in long-term care mm-hmm. um, by uh, a really catastrophic adverse event, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so what happens is the reports are written, sometimes at great cost, and then they're produced and they're sent to where they to the requester of the report and maybe one or two or a few recommendations are done and then the reports tend to get shelved uh, because you know the political timeline in any country is short it in some of those reports take you know 6 12 18 24 months to do and by the time the report's produced the crisis has passed and so it's receded from the public mind and political priorities are changing um, but it was disheartening to look at them. It was it was soul destroying because we know what the solutions are, um, and what made long term care so extraordinarily vulnerable. And it still is. I mean, you can see it in whatever we're calling the wave we're in right now, two or three, depending on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have some of these buildings were built in the fifties and sixties, and they were built like hospitals. They're not at all appropriate for older adults with complex chronic conditions and people with dementia. And people with dementia make up the majority of people in long-term care. Probably um, probably as many as 85% have some cognitive impairment and another 70% or a subset of them, 70% of the whole population would have an actual diagnosis of dementia. So it, it sounds like there is a number of systemic problems with, with long-term care and it sounds like um, the the novel coronavirus, COVID nineteen, was able to exploit these uh, these systemic problems, um, resulting in somewhere between four four out of five Canadian deaths are are of uh, are, are in you know long term care homes or and and in Canada's elderly population. I'm wondering if you can step through what those those circumstances what mm-hmm. what those conditions were that 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 helped the uh, coronavirus ravage these homes? Mm-hmm. Well, it was novel, so it was new, and nobody had an immunity. And older adults, as you age, your immune system ages too, and so that it's very hard as you get older sometimes to mount uh, a strong immune response. So they're, from an infectious disease point of view, they're already vulnerable. They're, um, over ha- half of the people in nursing homes are over 85, so they're frail often, and they have other chronic conditions, diabetes, heart disease, that increase their vulnerability. Um, and then we have them housed, and these should be homes, not hospitals. They should be homes that provide social um, and health care, not just health care. So we put them in these buildings, many of which are old and poorly suited <clears throat> to control infection, spread, um, you know, four-bed units, and, um, and just crowded and, and just really ill-equipped. Um, we didn't have a good, um, well, we didn't have a good pandemic plan anywhere in the country, did we? And we certainly didn't in long-term care. So you've got them in older homes. They're already frail. They're more susceptible to a novel virus. We have no treatment and no vaccine. At least in the beginning, we had no treatment. Um, and even some of the most effective treatments now are only available to the elite. And they're taking care of. So this is an old workforce, uh, old 
population over 85, very frail, highly vulnerable. And dementia is a terminal progressive disease. It has a course over years, and uh, unless something else takes you, it will always end in death. So these are very frail people in an old, often older building, not always, being looked after by a workforce that's um, underpaid, um, uh, 90 or 95 percent women, over well over half um, from other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're a racialized group. They're marginalized themselves. They don't have a voice themselves. We give them the poorest training of anybody in the healthcare system. We give them the poorest training and ask them to look after the most complex people in the system. Um, we don't um, always keep them on full time with benefits. And so that when when they get sick, they, they sometimes come to work sick because they have no sick benefits. They often are working more than one job because they can't earn a living wage uh, working part-time or casual. So you, so that's the workforce looking after, and they work hard. They care. The, the vast majority of this workforce cares deeply about the residents the, in the nursing home. But we asked them to do the impossible. Carol, there were also reports of PPE being redirected from long-term care homes to local hospitals early in the pandemic, and many care workers never got properly trained on how to use it. It was a perfect storm for a catastrophe, and that's what we got. Um, and we can't prevent people from getting COVID unless the public health measures are put in force rigorously. And then we can control it. But lots of cities and places in this country didn't do that or did it sporadically. So as community spread rises and we went inside for the winter, um, you know, it's pretty hard to keep it out of a facility despite your best efforts. I mean, by fall, people were more ready, but we weren't totally ready. Um, you know, and now we're vaccinating people, and that's an important and good thing. <clears throat> but that vaccine is not going to fix the problems in long-term care. It's just going to stop COVID, we hope, in its tracks, as long as COVID doesn't take a nasty turn on us. Mm-hmm. It's critical, but it doesn't fix the problem. So if you look at that workforce and you look at the population they're looking after, and in lots of places in this country, you go a long country mile to find a nurse in the home. So we've de-skilled the rest of the workforce in terms of allied people like physios and recreational therapy and speech therapy. We have less of them. In many places, we have less registered nurses and less LPNs, or we've switched out LPNs for RNs and not thought about what is the right balance. Um, The managers, you want to see a group under siege. Um, There's really high turnover in the manager group. They're getting pressure and demands from all sides and very little support to do their work. Hmm. So you saw in the early stages in Quebec and in a couple of other jurisdictions, Ontario, really unfortunate circumstances, which were really badly covered in the media, mm-hmm. you know, um, of care aides leaving their posts as if they were, well, one national paper actually um, compared them to soldiers who desert in the army. It was outrageous. If, if you find carriers deserting their posts or not coming to work in a nursing home where they know what it's like in there, you, you can't imagine how bad it would have to be for them to do that. Mm-hmm. So so underneath of all those problems, there, there's a really strong vein of ageism running. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the core issue here. If we cared uh, and valued our old people in this country, we would never have the conditions we have in long-term care. 
ever. Right. And, it was it was Gandhi who said the true measure of any society can be found in how it treats its most vulnerable members. Absolutely. And um, don't think we were much better on our attitudes towards women and caregiving. So 75% of unpaid caregivers, family caregivers are women. Mm-hmm. 90 or 95% of paid caregivers are women. And the work that they're doing is caregiving. And we don't even value caregiving for children, let alone older adults. So it's just not valued. Anybody can do it. Well, anybody can't take care of an older adult with progressive dementia. It's, 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 it's skilled work. It's honorable work. And we have been very negligent in this country. We're not alone. I mean, the Americans aren't doing much better. And they have a terrible crisis in many countries in Europe in the nursing home sector. But all we can do is look at our own. Carol, how does long-term care fit into the health care system? It must be a part of the Canada Health Act. Long-term care is not part of the Canada Health Act. Uh, not that it necessarily should be, but it's not covered by those same principles. And it's, it's funded by the provinces out of, you know, whatever they have in their provincial revenues and, and if they use part of the, the health transfer from the federal government. Hmm. But, it, but it really is a bit of an orphan. Um, and so we don't have national standards. Um, we don't have a national workforce plan. Uh, you can't, if you move from Ontario to Manitoba or BC to Nova Scotia, there's no guarantee, like your wait times for being eligible for long-term care will differ. The, the, the mixes of homes, the kinds of things they provide, like there's not a good national comprehensive strategy Um I mean, there are lots of jurisdictions working hard on aging in place strategies mm-hmm. to keep people in lower, like more independent in their homes with home care. And I wouldn't even go into home care, what a mess that is, because if we want to keep people out of nursing homes as long as we can, we have to have a very robust home care system. We have to have community support and we have to have properly resourced um alternative forms of living like we have to pay attention to our lodges and our assisted living facilities which are often neglected in this right you, you we will probably always need long-term care but we may not need as much if we did all those other things and if you really need long-term care or a nursing home it's it's the right place to be if the care is good mm-hmm. but we've got to pay some attention and stop talking about how, you know, the boomers are going to wreck the economy. That's an outrageous statement. And really look at what, and when you live in Canada, what does it mean to get old? And what can you expect in terms of your quality of life, Mm -hmm. even if you get infirm? Mm -hmm. And and it's a national conversation that we're not having. Right, yes. Um, And so in that uh, report that the Royal Society of Canada's working group came up with, one thing that that is in bold in the middle of a page that that should jump out to any reader, and you you touched on it, is that the key message looking ahead is to solve the workforce crisis in long-term care. You mentioned that uh, progress, like over a number of years, uh, the workforce in these long-term care homes have become de-skilled. There are fewer nurses, LPNs, RNs, and, and skilled workers who have been uh, helping and, and serving all of these long-term care residents. And you said also it's the workforce is increasing, is, is largely female there's a lot. Uh, it's it's poorly paid, and there's a lot of uh, often 
uh, uh, it's a racialized workforce, and so this is this is work that they that they're able to get and do. But they, you also mentioned that there isn't a ton of training. What are what are the the key steps? So how can we fix this? This this seems yeah. to me like it's a, a very much driven by the bottom line because a lot of these long term care homes are privately run. How do we fix this and and uh, without blowing the yeah. whole thing up? Well. Um... Uh, just a comment on private, because there's been a lot of talk about private for profit. And regardless of your personal belief values about whether we should make profit in this sector, if um, jurisdictions that have proper regulations um, around minimum staffing and enforce those and have proper balanced um, inspections and so forth, do much better when it's just a free the areas where it's more of a free-for-all. So you can manage a mixture of public for-profit, public not-for-profit, not public for-profit, public not-for-profit, private for-profit, et cetera. If you have a, not a patchwork of crazy regulation like we have across the country, but a balanced form or a system of regulation that you know says, why are we regulating? What are we regulating to prevent? Uh, so we don't have to, I mean, I'm not sure that private for profit will ever go away. It may, I don't know, but mm-hmm. it can be managed um, adequately, but you see in some areas it's not necessarily. Um, when people tell me that we can't afford um, to transform the system, I just don't buy it because there's a lot of money in the system. We had no problem in any um, industrialized country finding billions. Um, to and we should have to find a vaccine, and you need a fraction of those kind of dollars to transform the long-term care system. So there's money in the system. It's how we choose to spend it. So how can we do as the Royal Society of Canada report says and just address the workforce? If we wanted to do nothing but address the workforce, we can't just like look at the problems Quebec had. It's like there's nobody in the. There's not a pool to draw from. Mm -hmm. We have to value the work. We have to remunerate the work. We have to give people proper training. Or maybe we should regulate people. We do not regulate the PSW-carried workforce. Mm. So that means there aren't even criminal background checks. They're not regulated. They're not counted properly. Mm -hmm. There aren't minimum standards. They don't have to license every year. Um, That's another one that gets people all anxious about how much it will cost. But in Alberta, they... Um, pass legislation, they're going to regulate where everything's a bit on hold around COVID right now, but it is possible to think about regulating that workforce and working with um, um, a provincial association here. We're working with uh, a College of Licensed Practical Nurses to achieve that eventually. Uh, So we need to think about regulation and continuing education, like just giving somebody, depending on what problems you're in, say you have three months of education and thinking that's enough forever. Mm-hmm. Physicians don't do their medical degree and that's all they do and never read another thing forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's a little bit different with this workforce, but you, you can do continuing education in, in service and other kinds of programs. Um, if something really unusual comes up, you can do a recertification thing. Um, things are more stable usually in long-term care. But we've got to look at the workforce supply. You've got to look at supply and demand. And you have to have a plan to meet demand that's not just crisis-oriented. We have to look out. I mean, I'm not a workforce, like a, a, a health workforce researcher but exactly, 
But if you talk to those people, they'll talk about making a comprehensive plan and updating it all the time because things change. Where are we going to get the workers from? Can we supply this workforce from within Canada? Do we have to continue to immigrate? We probably do. And how do we integrate people from other countries? Um, And how do we create a workforce where, like, nursing, like professional nursing, has a a very important and, and privileged place in society? as a valued profession. Well, the same thing should be happening for these care aides, but we have to understand what the work they do and the really precious, I mean, their charges are your my mom and dad or your husband or your wife or your sibling or your cousin or your longtime companion. They're not like strangers. They're our, they're our family. I mean, I think we can't do any of this if we don't get the public is like, it's easy, and nobody's malevolent here. People have good intentions, and but I think sometimes we get lulled into thinking, oh, well, so-and-so had to go to a nursing home, and they'll take good care of them there without understanding that that home may not be able to, that, that those managers may not be supported. They may have a really problematic physical structure. Um, their case, the caseload, if you, that's not quite the right way to put it, but the, the person, the Nursing home of 1980 is not the nursing home of 2020. So there were a lot of people in nursing homes in the 80s who weren't as, as dependent and as, have, has, has, excuse me, had as many chronic conditions and dementia rates were much lower. So there was a really a mix of people with different kinds of needs. Mm-hmm. That's changing rapidly. Here in Alberta, the length of stays dropped dramatically over the last 10 years. That means they're coming later, and that's a good thing. It's both cost-effective and better for the person because they can stay out of a nursing home longer. But boy, when they get there, their their physical care needs are high, their emotional and uh, social needs are high, their need for connection is high. We have to accept responsibility as individual citizens to not be silent and to speak up and to figure out how to speak up whether it's our local or our provincial or our federal um, politicians or our um, our community organizations, our Alzheimer's society, um, who work very hard, or any other organizations that uh, we're involved with. So um, I, 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 this is a wake-up call, and if we don't answer it, um, it's going to be a real long-term tragedy. In November, a joint report was published by associations representing the country's doctors, nurses and support workers, calling on the federal and provincial governments to increase funding to long-term care homes and for implementing national standards. In a year-end interview with the Canadian press, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau hinted that provinces who don't want to work with Ottawa to improve standards in long-term care homes won't get federal funding. This is Why is produced by me, Adam Toy, and Dave McIver. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email at thisiswhy at globalnews.ca and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Thanks for listening. Wash your hands, wear a mask, and stay home. We'll see you soon.